This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Gary Gock. He is an author, a spiritual teacher, and uh, has examined spirituality uh, from every angle, it seems. And uh, his latest book, Pause, Breathe, Smile. Other books by Gary you should check out. Buddha Poems from Beat to Hip-Hop, one of my favorite titles of all time. And The <laughs> Complete Idiot's Guide to Buddhism. And, and uh, you laugh, uh, listeners, but those books are often the absolute best introduction to any subject matter you might go into. Uh, so I would, without having read it already, I would recommend And not being it. an idiot. Yeah, I, you know what? I will probably read that book. I don't consider myself an idiot, but uh, it, it's, uh, <laughs> Buddhism has taken many forms, and I've read extensively about it, but I'd like an overview, and I think that would be a good one. Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us today. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Phil. We should uh, mention that the title of the uh, book about with poems uh, from the beats to hip hop is What Book? Dennis read the subtitle. It's an anthology. Very good. It's a gathering. Yeah. Well, um, Gary, nice to meet you. Um, Phil. We're delighted that you could be with us. And um, Me too. Let's uh, begin by uh, having you tell our listeners uh, something about your own spiritual background, how you came to the study of Buddhism, mm -hmm. and uh, particularly uh, your encounters with uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh, well, in uh, <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was eight, I had a vision. A vision came to me, and uh, I didn't know what it was, and I tried asking my mother, who was an atheist, a militant atheist, so I put it like the little, there's a little pocket in the jeans, right-hand side, it's a smaller pocket, and I put it there, like a piece of gold, so it wouldn't get mixed in with the currency of everyday life, and two, day, two years later, I bought a 35-cent pocketbook called The Way of Zen by oh, Alan, Alan Watts. Oh, yeah. one, of Watts. My early, one of my early influences, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I met him, too. You were 10 years old? Yeah. And, wow. uh, I mean, I was a prodigy. Okay. But I think <laughs> it doesn't... I don't want to exclude myself as a particularly... A uh, different person because I think most kids uh, are very because I teach haiku to kids they they're very much in touch with uh, reality that gets drummed out of us when we're like ten mm -hmm. and we have to kind of uh, uh, conform to other kinds of ways of being. Anyhow, I was reading the book and it explained what I saw and I said, "Oh well, then I must." you know, be a Buddhist because this is how I resonate with the universe. But mm. in those days, there were more Buddhas um, behind glass cases in museums than living teachers on cushions mm. speaking to human beings. So, you know, I, I had a period in my life where uh, meeting some of the early seminal figures in the West, like Nyogen Shinzaki, Rabbi Shlomo Karlebach, um, some early Zen teachers, uh, Suzuki Roshi, um, 
And it wasn't until Thich Nhat Hanh's second visit to the United States that I, I met a teacher and a community that I said, this is it. I feel at home. I feel warmth as well as light. So I'd been practicing with uh, that community as my, you know, core root practice. I, you know, not to say that I'm not also a Sufi or a Jew or whatever. Um, at some point, I came to write um, the complete idiot's guide to Buddhism. Uh, in effect, both to, you know, spread the word because it was becoming a more popular topic, but also, you know, to learn more. And uh, it's a very comprehensive, uh, comprehensible book. And there was one chapter. Um, it was on what it's on Western Buddhism, um, where that was like 10 years ago. It seemed like mindfulness was on the horizon somewhere as possibly being a good candidate for nomination for helping to bring um, Buddhism to the West as a positive with the possible negative downsides of it in secularizing it, also um, denaturing it. Yes, that's a topic we'd like to explore with you. Um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard you talk about this with you know other guests. Right. Yeah. And right. I'm happy to you know uh, yeah. um, branch let, off from there. Let, let me ask uh, a question uh, in regard to yeah. all that. You mentioned yeah. the community you felt at home with. What was that yeah. community, and, and was that a religious community or a secular oh, community? That's a that's a good point. So, very good point. So you know, Thich Nhat Han is a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist who has been in exile until just recently from Vietnam and um, established uh, a monastery in France and then monasteries in the West to create what the Buddha did, which is a fourfold practice of monks and nuns and laymen and laywomen. And that's the community. It's called the Plum Village a community of engaged Buddhism, socially engaged. Um, and so when I say practice with community and all that, when he when he appeared on stage, he didn't appear on stage behind a podium. He appeared sitting with the monks and nuns. And that's always been the um, way that one encounters, you know, what Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching uh, is, that he is uh, creating community, creating right. a beloved community, as Dr. King called it. But, well, let, let me just follow up and, and ask, yeah, in, in that community, are there people who uh, are like full-time monks and nuns who spend most of their day in meditation, reading scripture, whatever, and then people who uh, have certain spiritual practices they engage with either by themselves or with the group and then uh, work out in the world and have families and do other things as well? Exactly. So when, when I tell people I'm ordained, they say, oh, you're a monk. <laughs> I say, no, because, you know, people aren't familiar with uh, the Buddhist monastic order having monks and nuns who maintain monasteries for people to come and uh, go on retreat and learn more. And that there are also people in the religious body or the spiritual body um, who uh, pay rent, lay people, and I'm of the latter. 
And yet right. we are all, you know, uh, <laughs> the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. That's great. Um, I first a, a slight digression. I see in in oh. some of your bio material. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to turn off my. I have a. I forgot. I have a bell on my computer that oh. reminds me every 15 minutes to stop, and I have to remember to turn it off when I'm, you know, talking. Well, that's one of the things. Stop that's, every 15 minutes. that's one of the elements of your new book, and I want to ask you about that. Okay, good. I want to say I see in your um, bio that you're you call yourself a freelance mystic. So I just I just want to say that when you see me refer to myself as that, I didn't steal it from you. Oh, where did you steal it? Uh, I don't know, actually. Maybe I created it or I got it from someone else. And I event, think I stole it from Coleman Barks. Oh, really? So let's start, let's start a movement. A there we go. And freelance mysticism. Um, you know, it's a pun on, you know, a freelance writer. Right, I get it. I've been a freelance writer most of my life as, as my career. You have that in common, too. So tell us, before we go on to your work, I'm yeah. curious to ask you uh, what it was like to uh, spend time with Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a beloved figure. Most people know him mainly from his books or perhaps YouTube. Yeah. Some people have been to retreats with him or, you know, something like that. But you, you spend time with him. And uh, he's not only a beloved figure, but one who's uh, in, in transition at the moment and has not been well. And is, is uh, uh, tell us about a little bit about him and how he is now and where he is. Oh. Um, sure. Thank you. Oh, I should mention, too, when you hear people talk about Thich Nhat Hanh who are uh, in the community, so, so more or less, we refer to him as Thai. Mm. And Thai is like Shifu in Chinese or Roshi in mm. Japanese. It means teacher. Mm. You know, so usually I say Thich Nhat Hanh to other people, but it's often we say Thai. And uh, Thai has recently said... Um, because he's had a stroke and he's semi-paralyzed, but is still teaching, um, that uh, he doesn't want people to build a stupa for him because he won't be there. Mm. And he won't be anywhere except within us all. And it's interesting that um, about, I don't know, eight years ago, there was a retreat in Denver with 2,000 people um, and the abbot monk got up on stage to the 2,000 people and said, I have a telegram it's from the hospital. Um, it's from Thich Nhat Hanh. It says, dear, dear ones, um, I'm in a hospital. My lung has collapsed. They're telling me to breathe. And everyone laughed. <laughs> um, because, you know, breathing is what he teaches more than anything. And uh, he then said something really remarkable. He said, uh, please continue knowing that I am within you mm. and you are within me. And it's remarkable in a sense that um, he, at that point, gave over a good deal of authority to um, his followers, 
Which isn't to say that it, like, like all gurus don't really do. All gurus do that in a way. They say, don't follow me. I'm just reflecting, you know, your inner teacher and listen to your own inner teacher, your own inner tie. And so, um, you know, it's been really amazing to um, feel very intimate in the, in the most genuine way with this beloved human being, this greatly evolved human being, certainly with his own flaws, but, you know, uh, uh, Buddhas have feats of clay, um, who has kind of gone through this process uh, of creating beloved community on the fly. I mean, this is not what he intended to do. He became an exile because of this political nonpartisanship during the war. He wouldn't take sides um, and didn't really want to set himself up as um, a teacher. He'd already created an order in Vietnam uh, for social service called the Order of Interbeing. And that now has become the core community in the West as well as the East. Um, let's see, telling you a bit about my relationship with him. Um, a highlight. Yeah, I was doing walking, but I was, I went down to the, uh, the, the parking lot at our monastery at the last day of retreat late because everybody else had left their luggage out, I forgot. So I'm walking uphill being mindful, you know, I know that we have to have a talk, and I notice uh, some monks, so I kind of mindfully merge, so uh, we're going as a river, and I notice that one of them is uh, Thai, is Thich Nhat Hanh, and um, the monks, you know, welcomed me in, and at one point, he nodded at me, and here we are, uh, four people walking up a hill, and very slowly, and consciously, and we turn a corner, and there's a thousand people and voices hushed and the guitar music stopped and he continued walking in the same way. Um, <laughs> you know, he maintains this um, presence at all times. So his life is his teaching. Very good. Thank but, you for that. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, Gary, uh, writing the books that you write, I'm sure people often ask you for advice in terms of spirituality, spiritual development. What, what, what do you, if somebody wants to go out and seek a spiritual path or learn a technique uh, of spirit, uh, to develop spiritually, uh, what do you tell them to look for and what do you tell them to look out for? Uh, good question, Stennis. <laughs> um, I'd first say, yeah, you want to find some kind of teacher or group because uh, a book, an app, a website are uh, good tools that can have very beneficial um, results, but you want to have this kind of container for it. And you want to find someone who can um, model it for you, uh, give you permission to... Um, Find this for yourself rather than, uh, you know, blindly obey in some kind of cult. Um, I, you know, I, I, I listed like 12 in the Complete Idiot's Guide to Buddhism of the kind of checklist you want to go through. Mm -hmm. um, listen to the community, you know, kind of do some due diligence. 
uh, find out what the, you know, what the community thinks. Has there been any incidents or anything? Um, and, I, you know, as, as we said, I, I gravitated uh, for warmth as well as light. But, you know, everybody is different. You might find somebody whose analytical uh, sharpness is their absolutely uh, what you feel affinity towards. And you can go with that. Um, or it could be uh, the devotional quality that, that, that you're responsive to. Go with that. And, you know, I really don't think you need to choose one until you finally come to that point. You know, it's good to um, be like a bee and be familiar with different gardens and the different flowers and cross-pollinate rather than to uh, say, okay, you know, I'm going to uh, find a teacher and boom, I found a teacher and that that's done. It's kind of a continual process. Um, and, uh, you know, have a home practice working uh, practicing with a group and occasionally going on retreat with the group are like the three um, coordinates, mm -hmm. I think, for, for building a really genuine uh, spiritual practice. Good, good advice. Uh, speaking, a deep, a deep I mean, a deep one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, speaking of deep spiritual practices, um, let's come back to the issue you raised earlier about mindfulness and its um, expressions in the West in the secularization. First, why don't you define mindfulness for us and then uh, tell us uh, some of your thoughts about um, the uh, sort of evolution of it in, in the Western world? In, in two minutes, right? In two, in <laughs> 25 words well, or less, yeah. Yeah. In, or three, two and a half. In my book, I, I offer like eight or nine because I didn't really want to limit it to a sense of a slogan or a formula. It's a very deep um, word in Sanskrit or in Chinese or Pali. In Chinese, it's um, now over the heart or now over the mind, huh. the, two, the two characters, uh, being in the present moment. Um, in Pali, it means remembering. What is? What are we remembering? That's the same as zikr and Sufi. What are we what, what remembering? What is word in Pali? Well, there's smirti and uh, sati. Hmm. Um, and it's usually, and also just to kind of give you the big picture before I bore down into like mine, it's in Buddhism. It's 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 in, it, it it's denatured if you take it away from its partners, which are concentration and effort, and all three work together as uh, the meditative aspect of Buddhism. John Kabat-Zinn has a wonderful working definition, which is something like uh, being. Uh, aware, paying attention uh, consciously in the present moment without judgment. Mm. On the other hand, my uh, teacher, uh, Sister Chan Kong, says it's um, um, being deep, being profound, being able to see right down to the bottom what needs to be done. You know, I like that too. Um, so the story is this. Uh, this I can do in two minutes. Um, it's a part of Buddhism, the, of, the, of the, say, three parts of the Eightfold Path, meditation, action, or ethics, and wisdom, non-dual, for example. And there was a um, bio, I, 
forget, biomolecular scientist, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who had been familiar with Korean Buddhism and he visited Thich Nhat Hanh, and you know, the light bulb lit up that this could be taught in the West um, in a secular way without bells or incense, and then it could be very useful in health, the health field. And uh, he spearheaded um, the adoption of mindfulness practice in uh, medicine and the healthcare with marvelous results, incredible um, scientifically uh, verifiable results. And he devised a kind of a, a teaching of this, MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is now also being applied in education and more recently um, where most people spend most of their time, which is at work. Um, in 2013, there started to be um, what you might call backlash against some usages of a secularized, denatured Buddhism um, as kind of a repressive tool, like saying, oh, you're proud. There you're right. It's your fault. Uh, practice mindfulness in, say, a, a repressive work situation rather than acknowledging that maybe the company might be at fault or maybe people have some kind of uh, uh, class imbalance that uh, makes things difficult for them. Anywho, um, around that time, Thich Nhat Hanh was aware of this and at a, at a huge retreat, we, we discussed secularism and then he asked all the teachers to come close to him. And he said, you are not to teach mindfulness as a tool. It is a way. Hmm. Interesting. And I think that really mm -hmm. kind of sums it up that we have. And my insight lately is that um, spirituality includes the secular. It includes psychology. It includes science. It's spiritual. It includes everything, theoretically, right? Mm -hmm. um, the secular, by definition, excludes the spiritual. Oh, no, no, no. It, this came from Buddhism, they'll say. But we're, we're not. We're, we're not religious. We're not spiritual. So um, it's interesting. The, the secular has made the spiritual much more uh, available to, to tens of thousands of people. And now, uh, I think what I took upon myself and others are, is how to present to them if they want to uh, take advantage of the results that they're noticing of calm and less stress and better relationships and communications and empathy to take a deeper dive to find it as a way of being and, and, and living and acting um, in which there are a plethora of wonderful tools. Uh, mm -hmm. Gary, Gary uh, following up on that, so if somebody yeah. comes to your community and they are Jewish, if they are Christian, uh, and they become a part of the community and uh, go the way of Buddhism, uh, yeah. if uh, in in some religions you're either in, you have to be on one boat, not other boats, can one be a, also be a practicing Jew or a practicing Christian and still live the way of the Buddhist? Would they well, would they fit in your community? I'll, I'll start with myself, because that's what I know the most about. Mm -hmm. I have never been more Jewish than since I've been practicing Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Fulfilling my mitzvah, mm -hmm. 
uh, being one with uh, Hashem, the divine, um, finding uh, ways of practicing uh, compassion in the world. Um, what would your mother say, Gary? Sheldon, come home. Gary, <laughs> come home. <laughs> that's what my mother would say. I, my mother was an atheist. Um, that's, I, that's why I asked. Mine yeah, was too. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Dalai Lama <laughs> says he doesn't want people to convert. He says if you're Jewish, find what, you know, if, if you're not finding it in Judaism and you find it here, by all means, take it back to your roots and and extend, you know, water your roots and extend your wingspan. In my community, it's the same, and I think in all Buddhist communities, it's it's a non-coercive uh, practice. And since it's uh, nominatively, uh, there's no Godhead, um, there's no uh, or, uh, origin story of the universe, and 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 those elements. That one can um, combine, you know, uh, you can practice Sufism and Buddhism, mm -hmm. um, uh, and and if you're asking about my community, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh uh, was a student of uh, comparative religion at uh, at uh, Princeton, and so I never understood Jesus as a Jew until I read his book um, Living Buddha, Living Christ, mm -hmm. and I went, oh, I get it, I Jesus, right, I love Jesus. Now, so um, I wouldn't think of Buddhism as being exclusive. I think it rather as being a, uh, I think ultimately like all religions ought to be, were intended to be, and spirituality is uh, inclusive. Very good. Uh, Gary, let's talk about your uh, <clears throat> latest book, Pause, Breathe, Smile. Uh, it obviously... Um, uh, uh, consists of those three elements and sounds like a very practical book. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump right in and, and first of all, you know, you can, if, if you wish, explain why those three elements, but I want to jump right into pause as well yeah. and, and, in anticipation because um, yeah. I'll speak from personal experience. I've, I've, you know, told myself and I've heard the, the advice to pause before, you know, speaking or, you know, uh, taking action, and, and I get the, the importance of that. What do you tell people who know they should pause, but say, as I might, when I'm upset, angry, whatever, I don't remember to pause? There you are. You have your, your <laughs> you're experiencing the reason why you want to learn. Because otherwise, you're, uh, you know, the difference between an emotion and a, a, a feeling? I didn't. A feeling is like I'm feeling, what did you say, anger? Was that your mm -hmm. example? So well, I'm, feeling, yeah. I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling anger right now. Okay, that's a feeling. An emotion is I am angry. Mm. And there's no longer a space between me and the anger. I'm just angry. And I'm burning everything up in my path. And I'm being pulled by the nose from it. And I, it, I couldn't pause because anger doesn't know pausing, and I need to. Because once I can stop and say, well, yeah, I can feel my chest is constricted or my mouth is dry or whatever the, 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 mm -hmm. the, the symptoms are, then I'll take three breaths and say, you know, I am angry, which is hard to do because the ego is going to say, 
What do you mean? I, I have to say I'm angry. Of course I'm angry. They did this to me. They did that to me. And we'll want to continue this kind of um, tracking, you know, being a, a runaway uh, a train. So um, the practice isn't just pausing, isn't just learning how to defuse and recognize the anger earlier when it stops before it becomes a crisis. The mindfulness is also being aware that there are times when we're not aware. Right. Right. Very good. Because <laughs> if we don't include that, uh, we're just kind of building a better robot, kind of. Um, so, I mean, it's a really good question. I, I hope I've given sense of how I look at it, because um, it's not, it's still, I don't know if it'll ever be easy for me to, like when I wake up, I, I do one where I, I'm, I'm aware that I'm, I've awoken and I'm, you know, how I want to set my intention for the day. And the hardest part of it is saying I'm awake when my eyes are open. I say, well, I know I'm awake, but am I? I could still be dreaming. I could fall back to sleep. It's that consciously verbalizing and what the neuroscientists would say, moving it uh, from, you know, the back part of the brain to the more executive front part of, the, of our, you know, cortex and you have uh, methods uh, for, if not in the heat of the moment, at least uh, <clears throat> reminding oneself to pause uh, and breathe and smile uh, at periodic times, like the timer on your computer that yeah. you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and it, it becomes like training. So that you're, you know, once you're more able to train yourself to do this when it's not a big issue, uh, you're more uh, uh, present and available, like when there's an emergency. Mm. You know, you're more trained. Um, and there's even with my timer on my computer, there are times when it rings, and I know I should stop and take three breaths and just sort of let go, and that I hear my ego overriding and saying, "Oh, come on, this is important." <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, don't stop. This is important, and recognizing, you know, th this kind of the way we're wired, you know, the human mm -hmm. karma. Mm -hmm. um, so can I tell you what pause, breathe, smile stand for? I think that's sure. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's a simple invitation that anyone can uh, recognize and practice anytime. You can always pause and, and having a conscious breath, like, like now let's enjoy a conscious breath or two while we're listening. Um, you're already pausing to do that. And, well, you know, practicing mouth yoga and smiling and realizing joie de vivre, it's good, but I'm referring it with smile to more like the Mona Lisa smile, mm. where, you know, to explain non-dualism, sometimes, you know, a smile is the first uh, and best answer. But then I go on. So, you know, in a deeper sense, pausing is about intentionality. It's about conscious uh, conduct. And also relationality, how our actions affect others. And the breathing is probably the most universal um, marker of meditation, however one uh, does it, because there's different techniques for breath and meditation. Mm -hmm. And smiling as being this um, wisdom tradition in um, uh, mystical traditions. Um, and that the th three aren't separate they're um it's like a you know a, a threefer <laughs> it's uh, uh in the book there's a Tri trifecta. 
A what? A trifecta. It's a term from... Uh, a trifecta. Yeah. I like it, a trifecta. Um, in the book, there's the usual table of contents, the linear, uh, columnar, do this, do this, do this, kind of a male ego, columnar thing. And there's just before it, there's the three intersecting... Uh, sorry, uh, it's like a Venn diagram of three intersecting circles. And you see, if you, you look at one, it, it touches all the others. So one of the tricks in writing the book was I didn't just like write a section on this. And then mm -hmm. Each section contains all the others in the writing too, mm -hmm. because it's um, they're not separate. Uh, mindfulness is part of um, your your action, and that your action um, and your mindfulness are very much informed by um, practicing meditation to. Uh, have the kind of most clear, lucid uh, vision of things. And they all feed into each other. There's a little section in the book on a Vietnamese technique for integrating these three. It's um, um, uh, study, observe, practice. Mm -hmm. uh, Gary, uh, thank you so much for your time with us today. And we'll have all your information posted about yourself, your, your work, uh, and your books. Uh, any final points you'd like to make to our listeners? I'd also like to, besides thanking you and Philip, I'd also like to thank uh, Paul Chafee of the Internet Observer, uh, mm -hmm. internetobserver.org, for putting us together. Um, more information me, and, you know, uh, not me, <laughs> is uh, garygach.com, G-A-O-I-G-A-C-H.com. Um We'll, yeah, we'll have all, we'll have all that up when the uh, interview is posted. Thanks very much for being with us, Gary. We could talk further. We'll have to have you back on. Absolutely. And um, we'll keep pausing and breathing and smiling. And uh, That's all I'd want to say to sum up. Um, okay. Keep pausing, breathing, and smiling. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Take care.